I'm really tempted just to, to dive into this without saying anything about the week we've just had, but I don't think I should. Um, obviously, a very difficult week, especially for some, and we, all of us, I'm sure, were uh, broken-hearted to be reminded once again uh, that the world we live in is deeply broken, and it's a place where people sometimes do horrifically evil things, like murder people in a shopping mall, children in an elementary school. It just seems to us unthinkable. And in light of that brutal reality, uh, thinking about this series, Delight Yourself in the Lord, uh, you might well be wondering, what, what in the world do those things have to do with each other? How can we talk about joy and happiness when people's lives are being shattered by sin? And the answer is, we must talk about it. We must, because sin is what you get when you refuse to listen to God, when you refuse to find your contentment, your meaning, your happiness in Him. When you don't delight yourself in the Lord, life isn't just disappointing, it's messed up. And all of the things that we try to fill that void in our heart, to, to find meaning and contentment and joy outside of God, they don't work. They don't work. I do not pretend to know what all went on in the lives of those two men last week that, that led them to commit murder. But I do know this. Somewhere deep inside of them, they refused to trust the author of life. They refused to humble themselves before the one true God. They refused to find their meaning, their purpose, their joy for life in Him. What I'm trying to say is the thirst for joy that everybody has, this thirst, this craving for joy, is not a superficial, trivial thing. It's deep. It's powerful. And if we don't direct our thirst to the only one who can satisfy our thirst, we end up doing hurtful things to ourselves and to others. Now, obviously, most people don't commit murder. But we do other things that God says are evil. They're hurtful. He hates them. And so we really need to delight ourselves in the Lord. This is, this is just not optional. It's, it's not superficial. We need to delight ourselves in the Lord. God is the spring of living water. He is the only one who can quench our God-sized thirst for joy and meaning and greatness. And when we come to Him to satisfy our thirst, we 
receive the joy we need, we crave, and God receives the honor and the glory he deserves. So delighting ourselves in the Lord is necessary. This, this isn't just a trivial or, you know, interesting topic. This is essential for our happiness, for our welfare, for the good of people, for the glory of God. That's why we're doing this series. So we can understand that. We can understand it and we can know how to do it. How do you delight yourself in the Lord? How do you pursue your joy in God? That's what we want to look at. So today we're going to be looking at a big part of that pursuit, how to pursue our joy in God. And a big part of it involves this book that we give so much emphasis to around here. There is a critical connection between the word of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. Consider just a few verses. Psalm 19, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right giving joy to the heart. Psalm 119, verse 16. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Psalm 119, verse 111. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Psalm 1. Blessed, that is, happy is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law, the instruction of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In John 15, 11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Think of that. Jesus spoke that our joy would be full. The word of the Lord guides us to the joy of the Lord. But you can acknowledge that, you can agree with that, and still miss out on the joy that it promises. I mean, obviously, if you're hostile to the Bible you're going to miss out on its joy. But there are a lot of people who aren't hostile to the Bible, but the way they end up relating to the Bible is very similar to those who are hostile to it, and they basically ignore it. They ignore it because they're busy. They are busy going to work, raising their families, trying to achieve prosperity, trying to uh, gain everything they think will make them happy. And the Bible really doesn't enter into it. They might even go to church. They might call themselves Christians. They might say they believe the Bible is the Word of God, but it's kind of like they believe that the way they believe the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. It's a fact that makes absolutely no difference in how we actually live our lives. That won't lead us to joy. That won't do it. So if, if rejecting it or ignoring it won't lead us to joy, what will? Well, that's what I want to look at today. We're going to look at the example of some people who responded to the word of the Lord in a way that led them to the joy of the Lord. And I want to learn from their example. Uh, it's found, their example is found in a letter written by the Apostle Paul to some believers in Jesus in a town in Greece called Thessalonica. And in this letter, Paul is... 
Well, he's, he's rejoicing, he's giving thanks to God for the way these people responded to God's message. Uh, when Paul and his companions came to their town and they proclaimed the good news about Jesus Christ, the way these people responded led them to joy. So I want to pick it up, take a look with you at it. So this comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible and want to open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, or uh, take out the note sheet <clears throat> that's in your folder, and the words will be on the screen. Okay, and as you're reading this, think about how they responded. Look at their response to the word of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So what do these people do with God's message? They welcomed it, it says. Now what does that mean? Look at one more verse that explains it. Chapter 2, verse 13. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, you welcomed it, same word, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. This is how to relate to the word of the Lord in order to experience the joy of the Lord. What you do is you welcome it. You welcome it. Don't receive it as just another message. Don't treat it just as another book. Don't, don't treat it like it's just, you know, merely the words of other human beings, like you can take it or leave it. No big deal. No. Welcome it as the word of God. Welcome it as the word of God. Now, what does that look like? And what do you do when you do that? Let's take a closer look. What is it you do when you welcome God's word? Well, the first thing you do is you want it. You want it in spite of the cost. You want to get it. You want to have it. You want to know it. You want to believe it. Second half of verse 6 says, In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message. Well, what is, what's he talking about here? What suffering is Paul talking about? Well, if you go, if you go on in the book and read through what, some of what they experienced, and actually, if you go back to the book of Acts, which tells us of Paul's journeys and, and where and how he shared the message of the good news. 
You go back to Acts chapter 17, and it tells us the story of when Paul went to this town, Thessalonica, proclaimed the message about Jesus, his good news, and they responded. And what you find is a bunch of people got really ticked, very angry at Paul, very angry about his message, and they formed a mob. And they caused a lot of trouble for anyone who dared to believe the message. So here's what it says in Acts 17, 6 through 8. <laughs> but when they did not find them, meaning Paul and his companion Silas, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and it goes downhill from there. So basically, the people who responded positively to the message took a lot of heat from the majority who did not. And they were harassed. Some of them were arrested. They were threatened. They were fined. And this is still happening all over the world today. All over the world. Places like Syria, Nigeria, India, Pakistan, Iran, Sudan, North Korea, on and on the list goes. Many places in the world. Because sometimes powerful people get very upset when they find out that you won't give them their, your ultimate loyalty. That your ultimate loyalty is not to them, it's to God and his truth. And yet, in every one of those places I mentioned, and many more, there are people willing to pay virtually any price to have God's word. Because having God's word is worth any price. I don't know if you remember, it was several weeks ago, we had the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and we showed a video clip of a man from Laos, and uh, I think he was in prison for something like 10 years, and they'd let him go, and he would because he believed in Christ and wanted the scripture and wanted other, people's, other people to have it, they kept arresting him. They kept torturing him. And he said something that was just amazing to me. He said, I could handle the torture. I could handle the isolation. I could handle the imprisonment. But what I couldn't handle was not having a Bible. Having God's word is worth any price, if we're thinking rightly. How much is it worth to know who God really is? How much is it worth to know what your meaning and purpose in life are? How much is it worth to experience complete and total forgiveness of all your sins? You know those things you think of at times and you think, oh... I cannot even believe I did that. I would be so ashamed if everybody knew that. How, how much is it worth to know that God completely forgives that, wipes that away? 
How much is it worth to be sure that you will live forever in the presence of God with eternal joy? 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. How much is that worth? You can't put a price on that. And you can only have those things if you have God's word. And, you know, the problem for many of us is very different from the problem of people in these other places. It's not that it costs us a lot to have God's word. It's that it costs us so little. And because it costs us very little, we can act like, well, it's not worth very much. You know, it's like stuff in the dollar store. It doesn't cost you much. Well, because it's not worth much. That's not true of Scripture, but we can act like that. That's a huge mistake. So welcoming the Bible as God's word in spite of the cost means in spite of how much it costs or in spite of how little it costs. For, for most of us, what it costs is time. Time to get into it, to read it, to study it, to seek to understand it costs us some effort it costs us a willingness to say no to some other things that distract us you might have to say no to a ball game sometime or some other thing that you think you would rather do instead in order to give this book some undivided attention now sometimes people say they don't read the bible because it's hard to understand well i'm going to be blunt That's not really true. You know what that really means is? What it means is it's going to take a lot of effort to understand it, and I don't think it's worth the effort. That's what that means. It's not that we can't understand it. We can, but it takes effort. And the question is, do we think it's worth the effort? Yeah, just imagine this. Imagine you went out to your mail and you got out this envelope it looks very official. You open it up and you find out it's, it's an official copy of a will from a long-lost relative. And there's a letter from an attorney saying that you need to read this very carefully because if you fulfill the, uh, the qualifications, the requirements of this will, you will inherit a million dollars. Now, even though it's written in legal jargon, even though there's parts of it that would be hard to understand, do you think you'd put out the effort to try to understand it? Yeah. Why? Because it would be worth the effort, even if it's hard, even if you have to really think, even if you have to consult somebody else who can help you. You would put out the effort. Because it would be worth the effort. I want to tell you this. The joy that a million dollars can give you is nothing compared to the joy that the truth of God's word will give you. There's no comparison. It's worth the effort. When you welcome God's word for what it really is, you want it in spite of what it costs you to get it. That's how you welcome God's word. Another thing you do You receive it with delight. 
rather than duty. Mainly. Mainly, you receive it with delight, not duty. Look at verse 6 again. You welcomed the message with the joy of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit opens up the eyes of your heart to perceive what a valuable thing God's Word is, your main attitude toward the Bible becomes one of delight rather than duty. When the Spirit of God enables us to perceive the value of God's truth, our main attitude toward it becomes one of delight rather than duty. We all know what duty is. Duty is when we feel obligated to do something, but we take no pleasure in it. You know, maybe for you it's something like filling out your taxes, or mowing the lawn, or raking leaves, or scrubbing the toilet. I'm sure you can think of something. <laughs> you know, something that's just tedious, hard, icky, and give, you know, there's just no pleasure in it. Now, the problem here is when you're doing something for somebody else, if your only attitude is one of duty and, and no delight, that's not honoring toward the person you're doing it for. <laughs> It means your heart isn't in it. So if Valentine's Day rolls around and you buy your sweetheart a gift and you sign the card, I only did this because I have to. (laughs) You're in trouble, man. You are in serious trouble. And I want to... We, we need to see that relating to God and relating to his word only with a sense of duty is not honoring to him. It's actually, you know the one we're honoring? We're honoring ourselves, that we're so good to do our duty, even though we don't want to. See, that's exactly the problem of those religious people that Jesus called hypocrites. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's no delight in what they do for me. Now, are there times when duty has to be done? Are there times when reading the Bible or hearing its message seems less than joyful, seems difficult? Sure there are. Sure there are those times. And at those times, it's better to read the Bible, than not to. But we need to be honest about what what that is. It's a problem. It's a problem. It's a sign that our hearts are weak. It's a sign that our minds are, are confused because we're not appreciating the treasure that we have here. We're missing it. We're not thinking clearly. Our hearts are longing after other things that seem more important. And so we never want to, at times like that, to go, well, okay, here I go, just doing my duty. Hey, this is good. This is good. This is fine. I mean, this is how I want to relate to God's Word. I I just want to do my duty. No, we don't want to do that. When all we feel is duty, that's when we need to cry out to God and say, Father, help me. Open my eyes 
to see the value of this book, pray the words of Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law, in your instruction. The wonderful things are there. God, open my eyes so I can see them. That's the attitude we need. Same Psalm 119, verse 1, verse 14. Look at this. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. You think about that for a minute. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I've always wanted to find a treasure map. A real one. Uh, when I grew up, my, my dad used to subscribe to this magazine called Desert Magazine. Because we used to camp out in the desert a lot. And you'd find these ghost towns and places people used to live. And, and in this Desert Magazine, there'd always be articles about guys with metal detectors who would go and they'd find treasure. I always thought that was so cool. I always wanted a metal detector. And treasure, treasure maps, you know? Now, what if you found a real one? I mean, a real, honest-to-goodness map that told you in very detailed instructions how to find a big, huge chest full of gold and jewels, rubies, diamonds. Can you imagine reading that merely out of a sense of duty? Well, it's another day. I guess I got to get up and read my map. I'll give it five minutes today. I've, I think I can squeeze in five minutes here. I've got to do this. I have to. It's what you do. Man, what a hassle. Would you do that? Can you imagine anybody with a brain doing that? No. Why not? You'd say, give me that map, man. I want to see it. I want to read it. I want to understand its instructions because this is going to lead me to something fabulous. This book will lead you to something far more fabulous. Far more. When you really welcome it as God's word, you do it with delight. Duty gives way to delight when you understand what you're after, what you've got. One more, when you welcome God's word, you let it redirect your whole life. You let it redirect your whole life. Why would you do that? Because it's from the one who made you. Who knows exactly what will bring you true joy and satisfaction. He knows. And he wants you to have it. Because on our own, we don't know. We don't know. We try all kinds of things to try to satisfy our thirst for love and meaning and greatness. But we don't know. We keep coming up short. Why, why do we keep coming up short? Because we don't know what we're made for. You know, things that are made don't know what they're made for. The maker knows what they're made for, but the thing made doesn't. 
We have to be told. God knows. The one who made us knows, and he's told us right here. He told us what we're made for. He told us where joy and satisfaction are found. The Thessalonians changed the direction of their lives big time. Verse 9 says that they turned from idols to serve the true and living God. That is a radical change of purpose. And then it says, verse 10, they began waiting for his son from heaven who rescues us from the coming wrath that is the coming day of judgment. That is a radical change of hope. Purpose is what you're living for. Hope is what you're looking forward to. And we need both. We need a purpose big enough to live for. And we need a hope big enough to keep us from losing heart in this insane world where there is so much wrong and so much pain. Well, see, because these people welcomed God's word, they now served him, their change of purpose. In other words, they now pursued God's agenda instead of their agenda. They now pursued God's agenda of connecting more and more people into a relationship with him that lasts forever all around the world. They weren't living for themselves anymore. They were no longer pursuing their teeny tiny little purposes, you know, bowing to idols so that, you know, maybe... They could have enough to eat. They could have enough money to have fun on weekends. No, now they were about changing the world. They were about changing the world by connecting people to the God who made them, by showing them his love, his compassion, his truth. His purpose became their purpose. Radical change of purpose. And then because they welcomed God's word into their lives... Now they looked forward to Jesus coming again and making right every wrong. That's what we're longing for. That was their hope. That Jesus will come, make right every wrong, and give us eternal joy. That's so much bigger than other things that we can hope for. I mean, what are people hoping for? A nice retirement? The problem is, even a nice retirement doesn't last, and there's so many things that can mess it up. Health, financial problems. But even if you get a nice retirement, how long does it last? You know, one day we're all going to enter eternity. That's a lot longer than retirement. And we are either, we are either going to face an eternity of joy or of misery. And it all depends on one thing. Do we belong to the one who saves from the coming judgment? Are we waiting for Jesus because he's our only hope? He's the only one who could rescue us from the judgment we all deserve. See, the thing is, You know, we get, we get so frustrated with the evil in this world and we think, God, do something. Fix it. Well, he's going to. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And God withholds that day out of mercy. Because when God makes right every wrong, every price, every sin gets accounted for. 
Nothing gets swept under the rug, not one thing. It's all accounted for either on the cross of Jesus Christ or in hell. Jesus is the one who can rescue us from the judgment we all deserve. He's the only one that could pay the debt that we owe, and he paid it. And he says if we trust him, that debt is gone forever. The guilt is gone. The judgment we deserve is gone. We put our trust in him. He rescues us. He forgives us. He makes us right with God. He comes and he indwells us, and he never leaves us. And he's going to take us to a a time of eternal joy. See, when that's your hope, nobody can take it away. Nobody can take it away. So when you really believe this book is God's word, well, then you let it change your purpose. You let it change your hope. You let it redirect your whole life. It's one thing to say you believe the Bible is God's word. It's quite another thing to live like you actually believe that. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's a daily thing. God, help me treat your word as your word. Help me welcome it. Help me delight in it. Help me open up my eyes, Lord. I'm so stupid. I'm just so stupid. It's so easy to get focused, to put my hope in other things, to think my purpose is something other than what it really is. Help me. Living like we believe it. Because anything less doesn't make sense. It's stupid. Makes no sense to say you believe this book and then keep on pursuing the puny little purposes, the puny little hopes that everybody else is going after. That doesn't make any sense. We were made for so much more. And it's all described, it's all explained right here. So, you believe it? You believe it? It's kind of a rhetorical question, but you're welcome to answer it out loud. That's awesome. Thank you, honey. Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? And I know some of you, uh, you know, you may be here this morning, you're not yet a believer in Jesus. You might have all kinds of questions. One of the things I'd recommend you do is get a hold of the book called Desiring God by John Piper. He's got an appendix in the back of that book called, Is the Bible a Reliable Guide to Lasting Joy? If those are some questions, if that's a question you are wrestling with, pick that book up and read it. Desiring God, Appendix 2, Is the Bible a Reliable Guide to Lasting Joy? I believe it is. And that's the conviction we have as a church. That's what we teach, and that's what we need to practice. Pursue our joy in God. By welcoming his word. Let's pray together. Father, as somebody who has grown up in a place where Bibles are plentiful, and the message, even in places where it's rejected, is still heard. <laughs> We can go into the mall right now and we can hear music reminding us of the message. It's there. It's in the music. 
I mean, we, we are a culture where you, your word is, in a sense, inescapable, and yet, in another sense, is so completely ignored. It's easy to give it lip service, Lord. I don't want to do that. And Lord, I know many here don't want to do that. We want to welcome your word into our lives. We want to want it. We want to receive it with joy. We want to let it redirect our lives. Will you help us? Lord, free our hearts from our stubborn addiction to other things. Let us put our hope in you and in your promises. Let us welcome your word every day, Lord. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.